These past couple weeks of playing through the Old Testament, I'm sorry, I meant Elden Ring, have been some interesting ones. I wasn't expecting to enjoy the game as much as I did at the beginning, given my complete lack of interest in all the other Soulsborne games. Nevertheless, the hype of the game itself has kept me engaged with the entry whenever the game itself isn't really managing to hold my attention. I knew from the intro sequence of this game that I wanted to write a sermon on this one. I mean, I'm a Methodist, and this game's most consistent mechanic is grace. Come on! But even after hours of research playing this game and even more extensive hours on the lore behind the game, I'm not sure about this one. At first glance, this story feels a little par for the course with the fantasy genre in general, but maybe it's telling a story that we can learn from as Christians? Let's explore how this game presents the absolute toxicity of power and compare it with the actual power presented in the kingdom of God. Let's talk about it. Folks, welcome to Checkpoint Church, where nerds, geese, and gamers come together to talk about faith, games, and does every character have to have such a similar name? I am your nerd pastor, Nate, and if you like these weekly deep dives, be sure to sub, hit that bell, and find out when our next one drops. As always, folks, we're going to be starting with our scripture for this one. Our scripture today comes from the letter of 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 18 through 27. As always, I'm going to be reading from the NRSV. That's my preferred translation. It's what's going to be on the screen. But if you have one that you prefer to use, feel free to use that one as well. For the message about the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, God decided, through the foolishness of our proclamation, to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs, and Greeks desire wisdom. But we proclaim Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom, and God's weakness is stronger than human strength. Consider your own call, brothers and sisters. Not many of you are wise by human standards. Not many of you were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. Woo, that's a pretty weighty scripture for today, huh? So first off, what even is Elden Ring? Well, Elden Ring is an action role-playing game developed by From Software and published by Bandai Namco Entertainment. The story takes place in the lands between sometime after the destruction of the titular Elden Ring and the scattering of its shards known as the Great Runes. Once graced by the ring and the giant golden erd tree that symbolizes the ring's presence, this realm is now ruled over by the demigod offspring of Queen Merica the Eternal who has stakes spread throughout the land that kind of at times feel like a game of Where's Waldo. Each of these kiddos possess a shard of the ring that corrupts and taints them with power. We play as the Tarnished, who are exiled from the lands between because of the ring's grace, and now we've been summoned back after the Shattering, which is a big, gigantic war that just absolutely messed up everything. Now we're compelled to traverse this realm to ultimately find all of the great runes, restore the Elden Ring, and then become the Elden Lord. Ideally. I mean, that's the plan anyway, but things never really go according to plan, do they? As we journey across the realm, we take on each of the demigod children in order to take their chunks of the ring and present our progress to the benevolent benefactor of the round table, the Two Fingers. Now, I hardly want to rob all of you viewers of the experience of this game, which may say it's 30 hours on the 10, but come on, the loading of each death will add up to 30 hours by the time you roll credit. Let's just be honest here.
Now I'm going to put a little spoiler warning, but it's really only for the endings of the game, not really for how you get there or the story beats in between, which is really what make these games great. So don't feel like you have to skip this one unless you just really don't want to know anything about the actual endings to the game, assuming you ever get there. No shade. I'm just talking. This game has several different endings, but they are mostly just echoes of themselves in the long run. Or at least that's the case with the endings that have been discovered so far. Elden Ring has only been out for a little over two weeks at the time of this video, so it's no telling how much more has been discovered of the lore and backstory at this point. Regardless of the shifts and changes to come, the prevailing sentiment of the ending so far has been a pretty depressing bit of cynicism. The player ultimately finds themselves with a few varying choices between how to best restore the Elden Ring at the end and unlock that uber challenge New Game Plus. But the basic gist of this ending is that the player character defeats everyone that they need to in order to find Merica's body and restore that body in some shape or form in order to reforge the Elden Ring and thus become the Elden Lord. The default ending leads to what the game calls the Age of Fracture. You can also either create an Age of Order, an Age of Despair, an Age of Duskborn, or an Age of Stars. You can also create an Age of Frenzied Flame, but that feels a little bit more like an Easter egg than an actual ending to the game. Maybe that's just me. With each of these choices, the ultimate decision comes down to how you play as the player character and how that allows for the ring to be restored. If you restore it, then who are you? Are you a pure person? Are you tainted? Are you evil? If you allow someone else to restore it for you, then who are they? Are they really good or is it all fake? Who's lying and when? We can't really know how things will progress after this story wraps, with the exception of the Frenzy Flame, really. I think we have a pretty good idea of how things go. The only thing we really get at the end of this story is someone narrating over the ending that our ancestors will recall this moment as the age of fill-in-the-blank. Now, what spawns this age? Well, who? really knows. Regardless, it's our actions up until this point as the Tarnish that lead to this moment of change. So let's get super vague and walk through all of this again. We have a place where everything is perfect and then things get shattered when the power hungry try to buy for power. This leads to a time of strife between the powerful that corrupts them all. Suddenly, we have someone who doesn't belong who shows up to save the day. Everyone in power rejects them, tries to keep them away. Even the most holy reject them because of their class and stature. Inevitably, that person ends up changing everything with their actions. Ultimately, this is kind of a rags-to-riches story. It's practically Princess Diaries. Except, here's the clincher. No matter what option we take, the ending is always the same. Someone is put back in the place of power. And that power will inevitably corrupt once again. That's the harsh reality of power as presented in this story and in most stories like it. It just makes sense. So with that, let's make no sense at all and talk about the insanity of the gospel presented by Paul. Our scripture for this video comes from the first letter that we have that Paul wrote to the people of Corinth. The first chunk of this letter, a portion of which we read earlier, is a kind of retelling of the gospel story for the people of Corinth. Rather than just rewrite the narrative itself, Paul is kind of laying out the why behind the what that is the story of Jesus. He starts out with the dualism. He says there are two types of people, those who are perishing and those who are being saved by the gospel. Those who are perishing see the gospel as foolishness. But to Paul, that doesn't really matter because far be it from God to consult with the scribes, the wise, and the debaters over God's own creator wisdom. Paul then goes on to explore how we comprehend wisdom as human beings. The Jews looked for signs. The Greeks consulted understanding and knowledge. So whenever the very concept of Jesus, who is the God-man who dwelt on earth only to be killed by humanity, that completely goes against the signs that the Jews were looking for, and it completely goes against the logical deductions of the Greeks. Hence, the gospel itself is foolishness. It goes against human wisdom entirely. That's the paradox that we're working within. God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom. God's weakness is stronger than human's strength. 
This is an obvious conflict for us as we interpret this passage, but let's keep reading just a bit before we get to that. Now, Paul directs the text to the audience actually reading these words. He says, consider your calling to this place beyond human wisdom. It's foolishness because Jesus changed the rules of the game by calling you, the Gentiles, the pagans, the tax collectors, the sinners, to oneness in the body of Christ. We have a whole chunk of scripture called the Beatitudes that are full of these concepts of the weak being strong, the poor being rich, the mourning filled with joy. It doesn't make sense and yet it is the truth according to Jesus. So now we go back to Elden Ring. There's this thing called the greater will. The greater will is kind of the faux God character in this game. We don't really get much out of the greater will. We know that this is the entity that has sent the tarnish to reforge the Elden Ring. We also know that the greater will was in the realm before the shattering, but then left because of the power struggle. We also know that the greater will has a vassal with an A known as the Elden Beast, who I won't spoil, don't worry, and a vessel with an E for the Elden Ring, which is America the Eternal. If the greater will left the lands between because of a power struggle, and each of the endings thus far have pretty much set up for a power struggle somewhere down the line because even the age of order could lead to an age of disorder eventually, then my theory is either that A, we haven't found the greater will's true ending and the reason that they sent the tarnished on this journey, or B, there is no true ending of the greater will because it would just be foolishness. The path that we have so far is one of foolishness, but the writers are creating endings that make sense. We are a tarnished. It makes no sense for us to become the Elden Lord, yet we are on this path, and regardless of who tries to stop us, we still press on foolishly. The only thing that we do that isn't foolish is restoring power. The truth of the gospel of Jesus is that it replaces power with weakness. It replaces wisdom with foolishness. None of the endings of this game have really satisfied this sentiment. This means that the greater will won't return to the continued foolishness of the broken land or that we just haven't found out how to do that yet. Now, I'm not a dummy. I know that Elden Ring is not trying to tell the story of the gospel, and it may not ever have a happy ending at all. But from our perspective as Christians, it's still important to analyze the story being told to find the kernel of truth that Jesus is offering through this work of art. So with that in mind, what does this story mean for us today? Hopefully, this game can teach us a lot about difficulty and challenge in video games. But the story of this game can teach us a thing or two about power and how best to pursue power. The gospel writers would tell us that the best power is the power found in the foolishness of Jesus. The most power we can hold over others is servanthood and grace. We can foolishly forgive over and over. We can offer the coat off our back to our thieves. We can love the enemy. We can offer the other cheek when someone hits us. Defy that logic that holds us to our humanity and accept a better possible ending than even our 10 out of 10 games could offer us. So whether you're a tarnished, an eternal, or a severed, know that you are always welcome at Checkpoint Church, even whenever it doesn't make any sense. Let us be foolish. But if you're grafted, maybe keep your limbs to yourself, okay? Folks, thank you so much for watching this video. I so appreciate you taking time out of your day to join us on these nerdy deep dives each week. If you want more of what we're doing, we're streaming every single Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday over on Twitch. Or if you need more right now, then we are 24-7 available over on our Discord. I'll link both of those down below. We'd love to see you in those spaces, uh, engaging with us, answering our question of the day, whatever it may be, we'd love to have you there. Hey! Quick question for you. Do you have a favorite Soulsborne entry? I guess mine is probably Elden Ring since I really haven't played most of the games, but even after a few sessions of this one, I'm still just not sure I like I get the genre. You know what I'm saying? I, I want to. I really want to understand these games. They're too popular.
I need to know. With that, we're gonna end this video as we always do with our three things that we believe to be true about every single one of you, regardless of whether or not you liked this video, didn't like this video, whether or not you were expecting a take on Elden Ring and Jesus, or whether or not you consider yourself a Christian or not, go to church or not. None of those things change these three things that we believe to be true about every single one of you. Number one, we believe that God loves you, like really, really loves you. Number two, we love you. We want community with you. That's what we're doing on Twitch and Discord and YouTube. And number three, we believe that you, yes, you, no matter who you are, you matter. You're a person of sacred worth. The world is a better place. Why? Because you are in it. Folks, with that, whether it's on Twitch or on Discord, or if it's right back on this channel, same time, same place, next week for another of these nerdy deep dives, I look forward to seeing you again sometime soon. Until then, bye bye Can he climb ladders? <laughs> he can climb ladders! He can climb ladders! Uh-oh, about to die. Oh, I dodged!